And I want to say how much I appreciate all of those who came up here and worked on these uh, for three days in a row. And I really do appreciate that. And uh, it looks beautiful. Thank you so much. There we go. Ephesians, who do you think you are? Turn to your neighbor and say, who do you think you are? And then uh, the answer is, well, I'm a child of, of God. I'm a child of God. A uh, couple of real quick things. Uh, New Year's Eve, I don't know if you have plans. If you have plans other than being here, break them. Because we're going to have Dennis Jernigan, uh, who is going to be here to lead us in worship. And we're going to sing in the new year, worship in the new year, praise in the new year. And we're going to, we're going to seek the presence of God as midnight arrives. And we're going to believe God for a word for a uh, word in season, for a word of direction, a word to our own hearts personally and corporately, we're going to believe God for a word. And we want to enter the new year strong in God uh, with a fresh word, fresh vision, freshly invigorated. So I want to encourage you to uh, be here. Now the doors are going to open at uh, 8.30. And then uh, we will begin at 9 with a fellowship, a lot of refreshments and coffee and all the other things, non-alcoholic beverages that we can. And then uh, 10 o'clock, we're going to start worshiping. Dennis Jernigan is one of the best in the country. And he's going to share his powerful testimony. And I'll tell you, when midnight hits, I'm going to be somewhere in this sanctuary on my face seeking God, and we're going to believe the Lord for a word. Amen? Amen? Amen. So that's New Year's Eve. Invite somebody, tell them about it. And I look forward to seeing all of you there. Now, Ephesians. Everybody ready to get into the Word? Look at that title. Say it with me. Money, Sex, and Greed. Did you know that's in the Bible? There we go. All right, let's, let's look at this. Last time we ended uh, chapter 4 by looking at the various personality characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that he's a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is not an impersonal force, like the force be with you. So many people I know went, saw those Star Wars movies and said, oh, they talk about the Holy Spirit, they call it the force. I said, no, 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 that's not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a he. And so Paul exhorts the church in the end of chapter 4 not to grieve him. Now in chapter 5, Paul turns his focus to the personal habits of the believer particularly in the areas of money, sex, and greed. Now, now, who's he talking to here? He's talking to believers. Amen. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to lost people. So, apparently, believers can get messed up with money, sexual, and greed issues, or he wouldn't have written this. Now, he begins the chapter by exhorting us to imitate God. It says in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God. Can we read that together? Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dear, uh, dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, that is a powerful picture of how to become godly. How do you really want to become godly? Mimic imitate God. The Greek word used here is mimetes, mimetes, 
which refers to one who uses somebody as a model or emulates or follows from mimos, an actor or a mimic. We're literally encouraged to mimic God, to imitate God. How many parents are in here tonight? Have you ever noticed how your children will watch you and they will imitate you? Isn't that scary? I mean, it can be good or it can be bad. How many of you ever had one of your kids come up and act in a way and you said, where did you get that? And they said, you. Okay. So it's kind of scary to think that with our kids, uh, what they get from us is more caught than taught. And they mimic us for good or for bad. So we are, in turn, are to mimic God, imitate God. Now, this idea of imitating the Lord is a common theme in the New Testament. Philippians says, let's read this together, can we? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, the way you view life, the way you view the world, your worldview should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Peter also spoke of this. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, he said, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you what, everyone? An example that you should follow in his steps. If we say we ought abide in him, John said, if we say we abide in him, we ought also to walk even as he walked. Mimicking him, imitating him patterning our life after him. Now, Paul's picture in Ephesians is of little children imitating their daddy. And not just children, but he calls us beloved children. And as we follow the father, we will learn to love as he loves. How many of you have discovered that you think you're learning how to love and then you realize, boy, I'm not loving like I could. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I can be either. Isn't loving people, all people, a challenge. Now, can I give you some good news tonight? God didn't say you got to like everybody. He said you got to love everybody. Okay? So, as we follow the Father, we're going to learn as we imitate him to love as he loves and begin to live a life of love as Christ loved us. The Bible literally calls our God, says of our God, God is love. And he that loveth is born of God and knoweth God, okay? So our God is a God of love, so imitate him, mimic him. What you see him doing, do it. And if you want to know what God looks like, read the red ink in the Bible. If you want to know what God looks like. Because you know what Jesus said? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay? So if you want to know what God looks like, read the red ink. Read the red ink. Read the red. That's what God looks like. Watch how Jesus loved people, was patient with people, reached out to people, had compassion on people. Do you know that I, I looked and uh, more, many of the miracles of Jesus, I can safely say many of them, it says first, he was moved with compassion and then performed the miracle. He's a, he's a Lord of love and he represents the Father who is the God of love. So mimic him and love one another, even as I have loved you, as he has loved us. Now, we will learn to live the kind of life that Christ lived when he ministered to people and ultimately gave himself up 
as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As far as Christianity is concerned, it's not all about me. It's all about him. It's all about others. And it's all about me and you loving others as he has loved us. Okay? So say with me, it's not all about me. It's all about him. Now, that's something to really remember every day, Monday through Saturday. We don't just do that on Sunday morning. So one of the first things we're to imitate, one of the first things, is his sacrificial love of others. Now he's going to begin to meddle. And here he says, then next, we're to imitate Jesus in sexual purity. Jesus was utterly sexually pure. How many of you know that? Okay, Jesus was absolutely, utterly sexually pure. It's hard for us to imagine somebody who never had a lustful thought, but Jesus never did. Jesus never had to look up and say, oops, Father, forgive me, I messed up. Can you imagine a life like that? He lived 33 years with never needing to repent. How many of you would love that for just a month? Just a month. How about a week? How about a day? Amen. So Jesus was totally sexually pure in this area of Christ's life. Uh, I'm amazed and I'm dismayed at it, but it's under attack today by the godless. Uh, can anybody say Bill Maher? Can anybody say people of his ilk are saying things against Christ that is truly frightening and unnerving for them, not for me, but for them. There are those who insist, we can start right here, that Jesus was married. I read an article on this a couple of weeks ago. Insist that he was married, that he had children, and so on. Of course, there is zero scriptural support for this view. But there are those who contend that he was married to Mary Magdalene. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there. But, you know, when you hear this kind of thing, where do you go for the truth? You go to the Word of God. You go to the Bible. That is our authority. That is our source. That tells the truth about Christ. Anything extra biblical, I am always suspicious of it. Now, scriptural uh, support for this view uh, is zero. There isn't any that he was married. And there's also those whose judgment I believe is fast approaching, who blaspheme God and Christ by claiming that Jesus was homosexual. I've read many articles on this. Uh, There are people who who have written plays that they have... They have brought all the actors and actresses in, and they have actually put on a production that casts Christ in a homosexual light. Um, I only bring this up because I didn't want to bring it up, but I, but I bring it up because it's one of the signs of the last days. And I want you to understand that, that somebody would say such a thing about the Lord's Christ is a sign of the last days. Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2, he said this, but know that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, and what? Blasphemers. And, and people today say things about the sacred, about Christ, about God, about the cross, about the blood that, that, that is truly... Uh, um, 
stunning in its wickedness. And that's one of the signs of the last days. Blasphemers, blasphemia, those who will blaspheme, those who will trash the holy, who, have, who no longer make a distinction between sacred and non-sacred. Now, the truth is that our Lord was utterly, totally, sexually pure. Hence, we should strive to imitate his life. Paul writes these words in chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of fornication or of any kind of uncleanness or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, a couple of words there. Notice the word fornication and then you write underneath that uncleanness. You see those? Now, those are sexual terms. Fornication is from the Greek word pornuo. Pornuo, which is a catch-all word. When you see the word fornication, it's not just talking about sex between two unmarried people. It's a catch-all word that is talking about all sexual sin. You name it, fornication, pornuo, includes it. Homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, and there's other sexual words. I don't even want to say them. All of them. It covers them all. It's sexual immorality, pornuo, in whatever form it takes. That's the word. So you can easily see from pornuo that we get pornography, 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 literally sexually immoral pictures or pictures that are sexually immoral, um, which uh, our culture is saturated with these days. So, so that's what, pornuo, that's the word. Now, the, the word for uncleanness is the Greek word akatharsia, akatharsia. Now, you can hear the word in there, can't you? Cathartic. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the word cathartic? Uh, you know, that, that's where somebody has an emotional experience where they feel like uh, they have gone through a cleansing, a, a purification, a, an experience that really purified them. Um, and and akatharsia, katharsia is to purge or to purify. But when you stick an A in front of it in the Greek language, so it's a katharsia, it turns it into a negative. It reverses the word. So when you hear akatharsia, it means not to purify, not to, or or to defile. Katharsia, to purify, to cleanse. But akatharsia, to defile, to make impure. And that's what uncleanness is. Sexual immorality, uh, fornication, sexual sin defiles and renders a person impure. That's the idea. It's important to note that immorality flourished in the first century Gentile world. I want you to know that we're not the first people to be in a sex-saturated, just sexually obsessed culture. We're not the first. It flourished in Paul's time. If you've ever read Greek mythology, how many of you ever read through some Greek mythology? You know, Zeus and Jupiter and um, Achilles and all these different Greek gods, okay? That Greek mythology is what provided the Greeks and the Romans with the gods they worshipped. And you've noticed, if you've read any of that, that the morals of the Greek gods were anything but pure. I mean, they hated, they took vengeance, they committed adultery, they lusted, they they were full of greed. the, The Greek gods were just made up in the minds of men, and they were just exactly like men and women, real human beings. So if 
rape and adultery and lust and sexual enticement are what comprises the character of the gods you worship, then how do you expect the worshipers of those gods to act? Let me give you a, let me give you a truth here. That what you worship, you will become. You got to be very, very careful about what you worship because whatever you are worshiping, giving your heart to, giving your adoration to, what you worship is exactly what you're going to become like. So it's very safe to worship the Lord Jesus. Have you ever noticed at a rock concert, it's, it's worship? Have you ever noticed? You go to a rock concert and, and look at that crowd, all their hands are up and they're turned towards these rock gods and look how these rock gods live. And then tell me, is it any wonder that those who lift their hands to them and worship them and idolize them live the same way? Because you will become like what you worship. And, and Rome in Paul's day um, was maybe even a little bit worse than our time, but I'll tell you, we're catching up quickly. So, Paul says, even though you're living in an immoral culture that is worshiping false gods and living sensual lifestyles, he makes it very, very clear, God has called the Christian to walk in purity. Can you say that with me? God has called the Christian to walk in purity. That didn't come over in a very robust way. Let's try it again. God has called the Christian to walk in purity. He has, there's no getting around it. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Holy Spirit because when God's Spirit comes in you, he immediately begins to lead us into a life of holiness. The Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in charge of your life, you will begin to walk in holiness. Okay? Paul said, Let not these things be even once named among you. Wow. (sighs) That sure ain't happening. He's even more specific in 1 Thessalonians when he talks to the church about walking in personal holiness. Can you all take another verse? Watch this. And boy, this couldn't be more clear. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, which means set apart unto him. That you should avoid what, everyone? Sexual immorality. Uh, King James would say fornication. That each of you should learn to do what with his body? Control it in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who don't know God. So if you don't know God, then you live for pleasure because that's the best you've got. Okay? He continues, and that in this matter, what matter? The matter of fornication, sexual uh, uncleanness, or sexual immorality. Nobody should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Now, in the King James, it's going to use the word defraud. Defraud means you are exciting in somebody else desires you can't righteously satisfy. That's what defraud means. In the King James, it would say that nobody would go, would defraud his brother in in this matter. So the idea is that we should not unfairly uh, incite 
desires in one another that we can't righteously satisfy. Now look what he says God will do. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we've already told you and warned you. Now do you know when I read a verse like that, are you aware that in a lot of America, in more pulpits than not, they will never, ever anymore talk about the wrath of God, the punishment of God, the chastening of the Lord, dying to yourself, picking up your cross daily and following. They won't talk about any of the tougher stuff of Christianity. But let me tell you the truth tonight. There are people who are going to suffer for it. Because this is where we live each and every day. We, we wake up and we go through life with a holy, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we're in a battle between flesh and spirit. And we need to understand that there are consequences for sin. Does everybody realize that tonight? There's consequences. Well, not me, Pastor Jeff. I'm a child of God. Hey, you jump off a high building, you're going to go splat like anybody else. Consequences happen to all people who might sin. Now, he says, the Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. So what he's writing to them, he'd already told them in person. He's reminding them and writing to them about this again because they were living in such a sensual, godless, lustful culture. And so he's reminding them and talking to them about this over and over again. And then he says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects, this is strong. He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So to reject what the Bible says about walking in purity. Now, please understand, church. The Lord knows the battle that it is. And this is not a beat people up uh, teaching. This is so we can understand what the word of God is requiring of us. But if you fail, God forgives and receives you back. Uh, if you fail, God will pick you up again. If you mess up, listen, nobody walks absolutely perfectly in this. Thank God Jesus did. And his righteousness has been imputed to us. But God has called us to walk in purity. And he wants us to understand that if we reject this message on purity or walking in sexual cleanness, then we're not rejecting like me or Paul, but we're rejecting the God of the Bible. Why is it important to go through this today? Because there are also churches who are absolutely preaching and teaching that you can live in sexual sin that is no longer sexual sin, that God understands, and that you can circumvent these instructions, and that this is an antiquated book, and we don't live in this anymore. So as a teacher of the Word of God, I've got to stand up constantly and counter what this world is teaching us. Now, you want to know how to be really happy? Let me tell you where, where happiness comes from. Happiness comes from holiness. Now, we tend to think that, oh, all that holy stuff, the holiness churches and all that, if I try to be holy, I'm going to be absolutely miserable. Let me tell you the truth of it. The holier you are, the happier you are. Holiness brings happiness. It brings joy. 
Because when you're living in sexual sin, you're always convicted, always feeling dirty, always feeling used and abused and taken advantage of. But when you're walking in holiness, when you're really tuned in to the Lord and walking with him, that's where joy springs from. Now, this runs directly against our culture, which says that sex between consenting adults is okay. We don't have to uh, condemn, and I don't condemn or put down those around me who are living loosely. I will not do it. And I'm, I'm around people like that from time to time for sure. But we should seek to obey the call to holiness for ourselves because God has called us as his children to walk in it. But when I'm around people who I know aren't living for the Lord, I don't condemn them. I don't judge them. I don't point fingers at them. I talk to them about Jesus. Because you don't clean a a fish before you catch it. You can't clean a fish before you catch it. You catch the fish, then you clean it. Let them get good and caught by Jesus. He'll take care of all this other stuff. Okay? Everybody say, holy. We ought to love holiness, okay? Now, let's read together out of 2 Corinthians. Read this with me. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, I'm going to start over because i got about three of you going with me. Are you ready? Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's good. Good. Now, then next, Paul addresses the words we speak. He's going to now talk about our words, the words of our mouth. Once again, pulling in tight on the importance of what you say. Look what he says in verse 4. Nor should there be filthiness, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. If anything is going to come out of your mouth, let it be thanksgiving. Okay? Now, the word filthiness is referring to filthy talk. Gee, that's a revelation, isn't it? You probably knew that already. Notice how he's moving from sexual impurity in our life to what we say. And there is a direct connection because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. Watch this. James said, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. Now I'm going to say that again. That's a revelation. For some of you here tonight, James said, if you can bridle your tongue where you are not talking filthy, where you're not telling filthy jokes, where you you, you are glorifying God in your speech, that is how you harness your whole body and bring it into self-control. So what comes out of your mouth and your actions are directly linked That's the message of the word. So when he talks about filthiness in speech, he's talking about foul speaking. And there's two forms of foul speaking. There is, first of all, foolish talking or the talk of the fool, describing the condition of a soul which has lost its savor. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. The salt has lost its savor. In other words, if you're no longer salty for the kingdom of God, we put salt on something like a steak, so that it won't be bland. Salt makes it tastier. God calls you and I salt. 
And he's, it's like we're in a great big kingdom salt shaker. And wherever we are, we, we need to see ourselves as God having salted us right there. He salted you where you work. He salted you in your home. Salted you in your neighborhood. And you ought to be salty for the kingdom of God. Influential for the kingdom of God. Now, he says, the person who's walking around with, with foolish, coarse jesting has lost their saltiness. Have you ever been around a believer that, that just started uh, talking in a way that immediately you were grieved and, and, it, and, and, and vexed a little bit, and it was like, wow, they're not salty for the kingdom. They're fleshly. You ever been around people like that? And, and, they, and it's troubling, and, it, and it's a grieving thing. So he said, uh, this first foolish talking, the talk of the fool is... Indicative of somebody who has lost their savor for the kingdom of God, has ceased to distinguish what is right or wrong, wise or foolish, noble or base. And can I tell you, if you want to see what foolish talking sounds like, just turn on daytime TV. You don't even have to worry about turning channels. Any old channel will do, especially the talk shows, The View. To me, hell would be, I'm I'm sorry. Let me just go ahead and say it. Hell would be making me watch reruns of The View. I'd rather be in the burning, fiery flames than watch reruns of The View. Okay? Because it's just foolish babble. It's just, I'm amazed that they're still there. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I'm sorry. Joy, if you're watching. Joy Behar, the rest of you. I don't even know if she's still there. Just, but on, on TV, I'm amazed at the babble the foolishness, the idiocy, the moronic talk. And all these women sit out there in those audiences just clapping no matter what they say. And you hear that, always that one woman, woo! And I I think that's a tape. That's not real. Because it's the same yell on all these different shows. But anyway, forgive me, I digress. It just drives me nuts. How can people watch that and then go start their day? And if you watch it, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to step on your toes. Really, I love you. I do. It's my opinion, and I happen to be up here. Okay. And then there is coarse jesting. What's coarse jesting? It's sensual, frivolous it's a, a light bantering. It's jesting kind of talk, seasoned with double entendres and obscene sexual allusions. We've all been around it. You're probably around it where you work. We would call it dirty jokes or tasteless jokes of a sexual nature. There, there's people that can turn any situation into a sexual joke. It's a gift, but it didn't come from God. Okay? Paul says what? Put these things away. Because when you talk this way, you lose your saltiness. You lose your saltiness. You can't influence people for the kingdom when they heard you 10 minutes ago talking this way. So don't forfeit your saltiness to try to be accepted by worldly people. Now next, Paul tells us the fate of those who engage in the lifestyles that these kinds of words betray because these words betray a lifestyle that is not godly. Now watch this, verses five and six. For of this you can be sure 
Listen to what he says now. This is not politically correct. No immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Because of these things. The Greek construct here tells us that the outpoured wrath, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience, the wrath of God comes. This outpoured wrath is not just talking about some future day, but the Greek construct is this. It's right now, the wrath of God is falling currently upon those who live these lifestyles. That's what it says. Well, Pastor Jeff, my God wouldn't do that. Oh, your, your God is doing that. Amen. See, we need to learn not to just talk about the love of God, but we need to be talking some about the wrath of God. Because yeah. it's the wrath of God that puts the fear of God in you. I fear God's woodshed. When he takes you to the woodshed one or two times, you do not want to return. Amen. He will whoop you. He will in his own inimitable way. Just ask Jonah. Okay? Now, we need to understand that he says the wrath of God is currently, right now, falling upon those who practice these lifestyles. Paul says the same thing in Romans 1.18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed currently, right now, and ongoingly against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is falling. Now, there's a similar solemn warning in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. And as long as I'm at it, I might as well read it. Here we go. Paul says, do you not know? Turn to your neighbor and say, do you not know? Seriously. Turn to the other side and say, do you know what we're about to read? Because he's talking to believers and he's saying, do you not know? You can almost hear him saying, I don't get that you just still don't know. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he tells us who the wicked are or, or, or what wicked lifestyles are. He says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what it says. Now, let me ask you a question. Is our culture telling us that? Oh, no. Our culture is telling us that if we're against those things, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. But this is what the Bible says. Now, I know that if you're younger in here tonight, you're probably experiencing a little bit of offense when I say that, when I read this. You're a little bit offended because you have been raised in relativism, in your school upbringing, probably your home upbringing. And so you don't think that God has an issue with these things. You don't believe that he does. Now, if that's you, let me ask you a million-dollar question. Where do you get your truth? From where do you get your truth? Well, you say, well, I get my truth from the way things look to me. I get it from my own opinion. You know, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. See, every person with an opinion is getting their truth from somewhere. 
the believer is not to get their truth from how they feel or from what the culture says or what looks right to our eyes. Our truth comes from the Bible you're holding in your hand. That's where you get your truth. And let me, let me tell you something tonight. It's a guarantee. When a person or a culture walks away from that Bible and away from that absolute truth in that Bible, that unchanging absolute truth, that person or culture is headed for shipwreck, guaranteed. 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 You say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's so narrow. Yes, Jesus called it the narrow way. It is narrow. So, so when, when I read a verse like this, if something in you rises up and says, well, that, that's just not right, I don't agree with that, you, you need to ask yourself, then where am I getting my truth from? Because the Christian is supposed to read the Bible, look at the Bible, pick up that Bible and say, this is my final, ultimate answer and truth, the wisdom in it, the commandments in it, the direction in it, the words of Jesus, the words, the, all of it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. So the Bible is our source of truth. Let me ask you, is it yours? Is it your source of truth? Especially if you're younger, have you gotten to the place where you say, no matter what the culture says, here's what my Bible says. No matter what I feel, here's what my Bible says. And let God be true and every man a liar. And if you're not there, You need to look at that and you need to get there quickly or you will likely end up deceived in these last days. And now look what Paul goes on to say. And that is what some of you were. Was he talking about immoral, idolaters, adulterers, prostitutes, homosexuals? That's what some of you were. Everybody say were. Were means past tense. Not are, you were. But then you met Jesus. And Jesus cleaned up your act. Jesus set you free. Jesus worked holiness into your life. So that's what some of you were, but not now. You were washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So you might ask, well, what does God's wrath look like? You say, Pastor Jeff, you say the wrath is being poured out. I don't see the ground opening up. I don't see major floods hitting the entire world. I don't see lightning uh, 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 vaporizing people. I don't see anything like you see in the Old Testament. Let me show you how today's judgment is manifested. Here's what God's wrath looks like. First, it comes in three ways. We see God's wrath in universal human death. Universal human death. From Romans 5, we see that universal human death is a revealing or a manifestation of the wrath of God. Death is the judgment of God on the ungodliness and unrighteousness of the human race rooted in Adam. Before Adam's sin, no one and nothing died. It was never God's plan you would walk up to a wooden box and look in and say goodbye to a loved one. It was never God's plan. Sin brought 
death. In the middle of Romans 5.15, we read, by the transgression of the one, namely Adam, the many died. The many died. So the first answer is the wrath of God is being revealed against human sin and universal human death. The second way you see the wrath of God manifested in our day is universal futility and misery are evidence of God's wrath. Now, I'm not talking about God's people because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And though my outer man perish, my inward man is being renewed day by day because I'm a child of God. But it's not true of the unredeemed. Universal futility. Romans 8.18 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for the ancient or anxious longings of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility. God subjected the entire creation to futility because of sin. Now what's futility? It means that you might plan well for retirement. And the year before you plan to enjoy it, you have a stroke and all the planning seems futile. It just doesn't go the way you thought it would. Life happens when you're making other plans. Futile. Futility is I'm trying to get to a place, but I can't quite get there. My expectations fail. My my dreams fail. And I'm talking again about the unredeemed. My dreams fail. My hopes fail. It's that rich man that said, boy, I'm going to kick back and enjoy the golf course because look at all this that I've got saved up. And, and, and then God spoke from heaven and said, you fool. Tonight, your soul is required of you. So he had all this saved up and then died and couldn't enjoy any of it. That's futility. That's futility. And that's one of the manifestations of the wrath of God. You work with your own hands for years to build a simple home. The week before you move in, lightning strikes and it burns to the ground. Do we not read stories about that every week? You labor all during the spring to plant your crops and when the grain is just ready to sprout, a flood takes it all away. The creation was subjected to futility. And this is why people are mad at life and get mad at God. Because I try and I try. And, and, And then right when I'm about to reach my dream, I don't get there. And that's not fair. And God's answer is, you're under wrath until you go to the cross and the blood cleanses you and the spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And instead of living now under a curse, you're living under the blessing of the son of God. The only way to get out of the wrath of God is to head straight for that blood-stained cross. If you want to know where you can get relief from this futility and from this wrath, it's at the cross. Not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, not just any old religion, not Buddha, not Hinduism, but the cross. That's it. Verse 21 calls calls it slavery to corruption. And then the last way that you see the manifestation of the wrath of God is the sinking degradation of human behavior that is happening all around us right now. And that is exactly what Paul had in mind in Romans 1, the sinking degradation of human thinking and behavior. I want to show you that three times in Romans 1, and we're just going to skim over it real quickly, three times in Romans 1, it says God gave them over, God gave them up, God gave them over. After describing the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man in Romans 1, 19 through 23, Paul says in verse 24, therefore... 
God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Now, the suggestion is this is heterosexual. They were given over to their own lusts. God says, all right, you don't want me. You're going to reject me. You don't want me in your thoughts. You're not going to give me credit for the creation. You're not going to follow me. You're not going to honor me. You want to go your own way? Go. And he gives them over to their own lusts. And you know what they will do? They will self-destruct. God gave them over. And so at first, you've got heterosexual lust running rampant, just people living for pleasure, living for that sensual, hedonistic lifestyle, and their bodies are dishonored amongst themselves. God reveals his wrath against sin by giving people up to be more sinful. He says, go ahead. You don't listen to me. You don't want me. Go on. For this reason, then in verse 26, it happens again. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. This now is sexual perversion. Men with men, women with women. The Bible calls that sexual perversion and it calls it unnatural. I I feel some of the young ones in here, "Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. God loves everybody. Yes, he loves everybody, but that doesn't mean he goes blind when it comes to sin. Bile, he gives them over to degrading passions. And again in verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved, reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper. So they go from hedonistic living to sexual perversion to the total inability to tell right from wrong. That's a depraved mind. And that is how the wrath of God is manifested. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. Where do you see our culture? Has our culture not said, we don't want you? Get out of our schools, get out of our public places, get out of our sports events, get out of our television, our radio. Do you know a man, an athlete, this week was on CNN, an athlete, a football star. He's got the highest IQ of any football player other than one. He's African-American, brilliant guy, loves Jesus. And in the middle of being interviewed by this CNN woman, he gives glory. He, He talks about Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And do you know what they did? They cut him off so fast, his signal dropped. And she went, oops. Well, I guess we just lost that signal. No, they did not. That's a lie. They didn't lose the signal. He said, he said, he said, Jesus and the cross and forgiveness. And they couldn't take it, not even for five seconds. And they just cut him off. Well, I'm so sorry. I guess we lost our signal. CNN, we know you didn't lose your signal. (laughs) We know you didn't. Now, Paul closes this warning with a simple exhortation. Therefore, do not be partakers with them and these lifestyles that they live. Now, in the next seven verses, we're just going to read them. And then we're going to finish tonight. We're just going to read through them. So let's stand together and we're going to read these next seven verses. And next week, we're going to talk about the home. And it is good stuff, the home. So let's read this now. For you were once darkness... 
But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your blessing tonight. We thank you for the blessing of God. Lord, we've seen how the wrath of God is manifested. We've seen, Lord, how we're to walk in the Spirit. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. With our hands raised to the Lord, can we just pray a simple prayer and say, Lord, I'm in a dirty world. And I'm in a daily battle with the flesh and with this world and with the devil. May your spirit be strong in me that I would walk in holiness. Yes, Lord. Lift them all the way up to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to do what I can't do on my own. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing praise God. Praise God.